All right, well, welcome. My name is Chris Majeski. I'm the family pastor here. Uh, so glad you chose to join us in person or online. We're glad you're here with us. Uh, and love that moment to just remember our student ministry, uh, to be able to celebrate your generosity. Uh, as a longtime youth pastor, I was the youth pastor here for many years. Uh, I led that trip. I led that student mission trip many years and uh, some great memories there. And so really excited for our students and for what God has in store for them this week. Uh, looking forward to seeing them back in service next Sunday and hearing a little bit about the trip. We'll have an opportunity to hear a little bit about what they experience. Well, uh, we are in a series called Disciple. We have been working our way through each of the 12 disciples, uh, looking at these men who committed themselves to Jesus and followed him uh, and then carried on his mission afterwards and, and exploring what we can learn about being a follower of Jesus. Uh, what these men can teach us about what it is to follow Jesus. And so uh, we are in week 11 of our 13-week series. There's 12 disciples. The first week was an intro, just kind of setting up the idea of discipleship. Then we look at each of the 12. Uh, and today we are looking at Thomas. Thomas, we're looking at this morning. Uh, and so the Thomas trading card is out. You can grab that on the way out of the service. Uh, for those of you uh, who maybe missed a week or if you're joining us for the first time, uh, we have one of these cards created for each of the disciples with some cool facts about them on the back, places where you can look up their story in scripture. And so you can stop by the Welcome Center if you're in person or online. There's a link on your communication card to, uh, to select you'd like a set and we'll mail those to you. All right. So, uh, so please grab one of those. It's a fun way to reinforce the learning um, and uh, hopefully beyond this series help you remember who these guys are and what we can learn from them. So uh, this guy Thomas, let's talk a little bit about him. Who is he? Well, you probably immediately think of one thing when you hear disciple and Thomas. Probably think of doubt, right? Doubt. In fact, I had a great joke this morning. Somebody said, hey, are you teaching on Thomas this morning? I said, I doubt it, right? It's great, great joke, right? I had to, I had to re-put that in there. That was clever. Uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas. Most people think of doubt when they think of Thomas. Uh, so some other things we know about him. There's actually a lot more to him than just that he doubted. Uh, but unfortunately, that overshadows most of it. So what I hope to do this morning is to, to peel back the layers of the onion there a little bit, to see this guy and some more about him. But then, of course, really learning from a big thing from his life, that moment where he did doubt. And so, uh, so uh, another name for him is, uh, is Didymus. That's, off, that's recorded in Scripture, which means the twin. Uh, and so we believe that he was a twin. Um, his twin was not one of the disciples. He wasn't one of these other guys, wasn't his twin. But, uh, but um, apparently he had a twin. Uh, and so uh, uh, he's listed in each of the Gospels as Thomas and this note about him being a twin. Um, but really, it's only John's gospel that tells us much about it. He's just listed in Matthew and Mark and Luke, uh, but John tells us some details about him and records some stories about him. Uh, tradition suggests that Thomas traveled to India to establish the church there. So after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples went and took the gospel with them as they, as they scattered, as they uh, carried on the mission. And, and it's, tradition tells us, and there's some historical, uh, historical evidence to suggest that Thomas went by sea to, to India and brought the gospel there. Uh, also, pretty, uh, pretty well record, noted, I mean, if we can trust the historical data, and it, it appears that we can, is that he was killed while he was there preaching the gospel, that he was put to death for his faith. Uh, it's believed that he was speared to death. Uh, and so, uh, so Thomas, taking the gospel to India um, and, uh, and, and ultimately paying for his faith uh, with his life, giving his life to support the gospel. Um, so obviously, there's more to this story than doubting Thomas. He was a faithful disciple who made a great impact for Jesus. 
this moment of doubt, but then on, after that, he continues on, and he actually takes the gospel to other places and, and, and preaches about Jesus. And so there's more to this story. So John, as I mentioned, records it. And the first passage we're going to look at is John 14. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And this is a passage that we looked at last week when I was teaching about Philip. And so there's a recording. Uh, actually, Thomas and Philip are both in this passage. We're not going to read the part about Philip today. We're just going to stick with Thomas. Uh, but in this passage, uh, Jesus has gathered his disciples uh, they shared the Passover meal together. If you remember, that's where the, he washed the disciples' feet and where uh, he uh, identified that one of them was going to betray him. And so Judas left, and he went out to enact his plan of betrayal. And so they're at this, this meal, gathered together, observing this Passover, uh, Passover uh, holiday here. And, um, and Jesus is teaching the disciples. And he's letting them know that he's going to be leaving soon. Uh, and uh, really, that's going to be a good thing but there's fear around that. They're worried about this. Uh, and so he shares words of comfort and guidance for them. And so that's where we pick it up in John chapter 14. Let's look at those verses. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. And here's Thomas' moment. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Very literal, apparently. <laughs> Thomas is very literal, apparently. Uh, Jesus told him, in verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So just this brief interaction, but Jesus gathering disciples in this scene of trying to comfort them, the Passover meal, all this is going on, and then he's telling them that he's going to leave. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. He's going to prepare a place for them. And Thomas is like, I, we don't know where you're going. We, we don't under, I don't understand, right? So apparently he has some questions about what Jesus is saying. And, and I, would, I would guess that the other disciples had some questions as well. But they, you know, likely some of them were just playing like, well, just wait, somebody else will ask the question. I don't have to speak up, right? Or, or just, just go along. Jesus will get there eventually, right? What's going on? Uh, but he has this question. And notice that this question is not antagonistic. He's not challenging Jesus. He's not trying to, to, to say Jesus has said something that's, that's wrong or inappropriate. We know that Peter did that at one point. Peter spoke up and said, Jesus, that's not true. You shouldn't say that, right? That's not going to happen. That's not going to be the case. That was more antagonistic and challenging. Thomas is looking for information. He's seeking truth. He's seeking answers. He wants to be with Jesus, and he wants to make sure that he's got the facts correct about how to do that. And so Thomas indicates, this little interaction here, it indicates that Thomas was inquisitive. That he was curious, that he was the kind of guy who liked to investigate and, and look into things for himself, uh, to examine things. And he's seeking understanding. He's not lacking faith necessarily here. So we talked about last week how faith and reason can coexist. I think Thomas is one of these guys who has faith, but he also has to get some questions answered, has to sort some things out and see for himself. He's a guy who likes to dig in on the details and investigate. So Jesus responds to his question. Notice it. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't tell him, don't question me. You should know better. Jesus' response is gentle, but yet it's clear and firm. It's gentle, yet it's clear and firm. 
Jesus makes it clear that he's been teaching them all along about this, that, that he is the way, the only way to God. And so essentially Jesus is saying, Thomas, you know the way because you've been following me and that's the way you do it. You just continue to follow me. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to get to God. And so he's saying, you've been following me, just continue to do that. This is what you do, you've been doing. That's how you know that you'll be with me is follow me. It's another interaction we have. Uh, uh, well, well, apparently Thomas was satisfied because he does continue to follow Jesus, right? Apparently his question was satisfied by Jesus' interaction, and he continues on because we know that he faithfully follows Jesus till the end of his life. So the other interaction I want to look at, another one here, is John chapter 11. So going back a few chapters in John, uh, and Jesus and the disciples have gotten out of the city at this point. Uh, They're out in the countryside. They're actually out where John the Baptist was baptizing people. Uh, And they've gone there to get away from the crowds and from some people who are plotting against Jesus. Uh, Things have heated up in the city, and they've kind of gotten away from that uh, that was going on there, tried to to, uh, get out of the tension a little bit um, and and get away from these people who are plotting. Uh, So while they're there, they get a message that indicates that they should return to the city. So they've just left because it's heating up here and it's getting dangerous, and now they've got a message that they should, indicating that they should probably return there. Let's pick that up in John chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? And so Lazarus and his sisters lived in Bethany, which was near Jerusalem. Near, near Jerusalem. This is where the da- near the danger that was happening. And, and this, this indication that Lazarus is sick, and, and they know that Jesus can do something about it. And so they're saying, please, come help. Your dear friend is sick. But then Jesus waits two days. And then he says, hey, let's do this. Let's go back. Let's go back to this place. It was a place of danger. This place of, uh, 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 near the city. And so in John chapter 10, we learn, that's the previous chapter, we learn that Jesus, people had picked up stones to kill him. So we're not just talking, some people didn't like what he had to say, so much so that they were plotting his death. They were looking for ways to trap him and arrest him or, or, or have him put to death. So the disciples are trying to talk Jesus out of it. Like, Jesus, we don't want that. We don't want to go back there to that place where there's danger. They're afraid for their lives. That makes sense to me that they would be afraid for their lives a dangerous situation. And so Jesus says something to them about, right after this, he says something to them about how uh, he's going to wake up Lazarus. And they're like, well, if he's sleeping, Lord, he'll get better. It's better that he sleeps. They misunderstand that he doesn't actually mean that he's sleeping. He actually means that he's dead. So look at verses 14 through 16. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Here's Thomas again. Let's go to and die with Jesus. Talk about a dramatic statement, right? 
uh, Thomas apparently had a pretty pessimistic view about what was going to happen as they went with Jesus back to see on, check on Lazarus. There's danger. There's real danger. And Jesus is set on going back to that. And the rest of the disciples, and maybe Thomas was there too, were the rest of, in, in the same emotional state. They're, they're afraid. But yet Thomas is the one who speaks up and says, let's go. Let's head into danger with Jesus. Let's follow him, even if it's risky. And so Thomas, in this interaction, he indicates to us that he's courageous. That he's courageous. He was willing to die for Jesus. Well, the rest of the the disciples are trying to convince Jesus to take the safer route and to not go back, to avoid the danger. Thomas is willing to step in and risk even his life for Jesus. So he's courageous. We also see in this moment that he's loyal that he's willing to, somebody's willing to die for somebody, that indicates there's a significant amount of love for that person, willing to lay their life down for them. And he wants to be with Jesus, and he's willing to take on the risk that goes with that. There's a courage, but then he's also, he's so committed to being with him that he is going, uh, he, he's going into danger, uh, willing to, to take whatever risks come with it. So Thomas' response indicates his commitment level to Jesus. He's so convinced of who Jesus is that nothing, not even death, will stop him from following him. So he's deeply committed to Jesus. And yet we know that he doubted. This inquisitive, courageous, loyal guy had some doubts. And so let's look at that interaction in John chapter 20. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. So this is the, the day of the resurrection. Jesus has died. He's been uh, laid, uh, crucified and laid in the tomb. And then the, 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 the women go to prepare the body on Sunday morning, and, and it's not there anymore that evening. That's the evening we're talking about. That evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hands into the wound on his side. So this is the the moment that overshadows all of Thomas' life, right? This moment that's recorded here. And so the disciples are gathered and they're, they're behind a locked door because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders, the ones who have arrested Jesus and had him put to death. They're afraid now that something's going to happen, that they're going to be coming looking for them. And so they're behind locked doors and Jesus appears to them. This resurrection body is apparently different than his physical earthly body, but he appears to them and he says, peace be with you. And then he shows them the wounds in his hands and his sides. He shows the disciples the wounds in his hands and his sides. And then Thomas isn't there. He misses out on this moment. And he says those fateful words, I won't believe it unless I can see the wounds and touch them myself. This inquisitive, courageous, loyal man has a hard time believing what his friends are telling him. His words express doubt 
But more than that, they express a longing to understand and see for himself. I don't think Thomas' doubt is the doubt of, 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 uh, of an, like antagonism, like this is absolutely not true. It's, I want to see for myself. I want to understand for myself. His inquisitive nature is showing up here. The other disciples had that opportunity to see the wounds. They touched them. They got that moment, and he's saying, I want to see it for myself. I want to explore it. I want to see what you're talking about. And I want to suggest to you that sincere faith does not prohibit investigation. If you want to explore and understand and, 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 and deal with questions and curiosity, it doesn't mean you lack faith. It might just be the way God's wired you. That that's part of your God-given gift in this world is that you're prone to look for, for, in, for truth and for facts and details and that that's part of the way God made you. So Thomas says these words and then we see that, that he actually has a moment to interact with Jesus in verses 26 through 29. Eight days later, eight days Thomas went without seeing Jesus and experiencing him this way. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Verse 28, my Lord and my God, Thomas explained, exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So eight days later, we have a similar scene where the disciples are gathered and Jesus appears among them and he meets Thomas right where he's at and invites him to investigate and see for himself. Jesus doesn't scold Thomas for not believing. He lovingly meets him in his doubts. He offers Thomas the opportunity to find out the answers to his questions. Let's go ahead and watch this video clip. It's a, a monologue of what might have been going on with Thomas in this moment. Let's go ahead. I remember the first time somebody called me a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, a disciple. Had a nice ring to it. It felt um, strong. You realized you were a part of something much bigger than yourself. Sometimes it was really, really tough. See, I, I can't begin to describe just how disorienting things were back then. I mean, one minute Jesus is telling you about uh, the gift of life, and the next minute it seems like he's just going to let us drown in the middle of the sea. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we didn't drown. It sure seemed like we were going to. Looking back on it, I realized that Jesus didn't waste a moment. I mean, he was always showing us that he was who he said he was. Which, I know, begs the question, how could we doubt him? Yeah, I tend to be the one that gets asked that more than anybody because for some reason, doubter has been connected with my name. For the record, I wasn't the only one who doubted. It's just, I wasn't there the day that Jesus appeared to everyone else. 
I, I, I was gone. And, and so I didn't, there, look, the finality of death, it has a, uh, a choking grip on all of us. And on that day that Jesus was crucified, when, um, when death swallowed him up, and then there was the day that um, they showed me his hands and the scars. And he said, Thomas, you believe because you see. But there's going to be people who believe and don't see. And that night changed everything. I mean, I was still a disciple. But now, now I was an apostle. Sent to share the good news. To tell a story. You know, there's a... Uh, there's another word. And started with a few of us, began to spread. I think it's the best word of all. It says everything that needs to be said because we realized it wasn't about how well we believed, it was about who we believed in. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yeah, from that moment on, we were called believers. We were called believers. I love that thought. The one who doubted, the one whose name is so attached with doubt, as Jesus met him in his doubts, he believed. He believed. His response to Jesus was, my Lord and my God. And we have those words recorded in Scripture for us that testify to us of who Jesus is, of the greatness of God, of his power over death. And so Thomas affirms to us and testifies to us about Jesus. He's not just a doubter. He is a believer. And so if you have questions and you have doubts, Know that Jesus wants to meet you in your questions and your doubts, just like he did for Thomas. And he doesn't show up angry and upset with you for your questions and your doubts. He meets you with love and compassion, just like he did with Thomas. He meets you where you're at, and he wants to bring you through that doubt to belief. And that's our main idea today, is that Jesus can overcome doubt and lead us to belief. That Jesus can overcome doubt and, believe, and lead us to belief. Sometimes doubt is set up as an enemy or it's set up as an opposition to faith. And I want to suggest to you that that's not always the case. It is the case with some doubt. Now there's some doubt where it's really a heart-level condition, where you're set on not believing. That you don't want to believe, you don't want it to be true, and so you are set to try to find a way to disprove. That would move from doubt to skepticism, I would call that. Or antagonism, right? But that's not the kind of doubt we're talking about. That's not the kind of doubt that Thomas displayed. 
The kind of doubt that Thomas expressed is a longing to know truth, but having questions along the way. He has a hard time believing what his friends have told him, but he knows Jesus, and he believes in Jesus, and he wants to investigate for himself. And Jesus can overcome all of this. Even that skepticism doubt, that antagonistic doubt, Jesus can overcome that. It's okay to be honest with him about your questions, about your doubts. He understands us. Hebrews 4.15 says, this high, speaking of Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. And so he knows, Jesus walked in our shoes, he knows what it's like to be like us. He can relate to us. Nothing that we bring to him will surprise or shock him. He understands what it is to be human. And he wants to help us work through those doubts so that he can lead us to belief. So with our remaining time, what I'd like to do is just share some suggestions of how to overcome doubt. And we're going to go through these briefly, but there's scripture passages attached with each of these. And let me encourage you to write down the references and look this up later in the week. Spend some time in God's word exploring these passages and exploring the relationship that God wants to have with you and how he wants to meet you even in your doubts. And so the first step in overcoming doubt is to recognize the spiritual battle. We have a very real enemy who loves to sow seeds of doubt. He's a manipulator and a liar and a deceiver. This is, this is what's described, this is what's described, how he's described in Scripture, but it's also what we see happen in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve at the very beginning of the Bible, all the way in the beginning of, 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 of human history in, in, in the Garden of Eden. He shows up and he deceives and he lies and he manipulates and he sows those seeds of doubt. So sometimes the doubts that we have are really the voice of the enemy that's crept in and we've picked up along our journey. So recognize that it's a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, 10, and 12, 10 through 12 says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, there's that spiritual battle, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So we have an enemy who wants us to doubt who wants to, to wedge that doubt, to, to grow that wedge that, that keeps us separate from God and causes us to question more and more and more. Not saying all doubt is a product of the enemy, just saying that consider that it could be what's going on here. Recognize that there is a spiritual battle. The second one is to not go it alone. Open up. If you have questions and doubts, don't keep them to yourself. Open up. Talk to someone. Find a trusted friend. Find a small group. Reach out to one of our pastors on staff here. We'd love to talk with you. But maybe those people that you've reached out to, maybe they've had those same questions. Maybe they can give some insight or point you in the right direction. Maybe they can help you find the answers you're looking for. But don't go it alone. We need one another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9-10 through 10 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help them. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. That's a picture of support. And we can support one another about being honest about our questions, about our doubts. If you fall alone, who's going to help you back up? But if you have community, you have people around you, they can help you. Thomas had that community. 
He said he didn't, he had doubts, right? But eight days he spent with the disciples. And Jesus met him through that. So don't go it alone. Find community. Share it with someone else. The third step in overcoming doubt I have for us is to spend time in God's word. To spend time in God's word. It's, it's the primary way that we learn about God is reading the scriptures, understanding them. And so as you grow in your understanding of who he is, you'll likely start to trust him more. So spending time in God's, words can help, God's word can help you to connect with him and to trust him more. And oftentimes, doubt is a product of emotional and relational problems in our lives. Maybe we had an authority figure in our life who we couldn't trust. Or maybe we were let down by others who promised things. And so we have doubts as we approach God because we have baggage from other areas. And so by learning who God is, seeing him for who he truly is, can help to pull away those things to say, no, this isn't like that other experience that I had where someone let me down. That God truly is worthy of our trust. Psalm 109, verses 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I think of doubt, a place of darkness, and God's word can shed light on the path for us and lead us in the right direction, help us to find the right path. And the fourth suggestion I have is to go to God in prayer, to be honest with him about your questions and your doubts. Ask him to lead you to truth. Be honest with him and ask him to lead you to truth. In Mark chapter 9, we're not going to read the whole story. We don't have time for that. But in Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 27, is a beautiful passage of Scripture where there's this father who has a problem. He has brought his son who has been oppressed by evil spirits, He's brought him to the disciples, and the disciples are trying to cast out these evil spirits and help this father. And they can't do it. They haven't been able to do it. So then Jesus arrives on the scene, and the father tells him the situation. He says, this happens over and over again, and, and, and my son, is, is, is this thing's trying to kill him. This evil spirit's trying to kill him. And he says, please help if you can do anything. And Jesus catches that word, if. And he says, what do you mean, if I can do anything? Anything is possible if you believe. And so in Mark 9, verse 24, the father replies, the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's an honest prayer. It's a prayer of saying, I want to believe, but I have questions. Help me. And Jesus honors that man's prayer. And he casts out the evil spirit, and the boy is healed. And the man leaves a great example for us of the importance of being honest in prayer. The, the, the openness that Jesus has to our questions. Believers. We're called believers. Thomas, the disciple, who is known as the doubter, he helps us see that disciples work through their doubts move to a place of truth, of believing in the truth. And so may you continue to learn what it means to follow Jesus with your whole being, and may you take steps to work through your questions and your doubts.